Thanks for tuning into the podcast. Before we start the show, I want to let you know something. My latest novel, Personal Fable, is free for the next uh, few days. So if you're hearing this ad, it's currently free if you're a Kindle user. So just look it up on your Kindle. If you don't have a Kindle, you can even get one of those for free by getting the free Kindle app on your phone. And then head over, get Personal Fable, have a read, and if you love it, leave a review. And I hope you love the story. Now, let's get on with the podcast. P.S. The promotion runs the 11th, 12th, and 13th of March. Welcome back to the Hemingway List podcast of brilliance for, what are we talking about? Book 8, Chapter 3. Um, two out of my three days are ticked. You know, I, I think I said yesterday I've got three days in a row of teaching. Well, today was number two of those three. Tomorrow is number three. And the good thing is tomorrow is with a fairly small school, so it's only one class, whereas opposed to today and yesterday with three classes. So, you know, you've got to do the same thing three times. Uh, tomorrow's only one class, and it's also a school I've been working with for seven years now, so I'm like a, you know, I'm like the furniture there. I'm, uh, you know, they know me. It's very, very cruisy. It's very, very stress-free. So I kind of feel like the stressful part of my week is sort of done. And then, you know, I've got Thursday and Friday to get ready um, for the fact that I'm moving house on Friday. And then what happens? Some training that I need to do um, for a little casual job I've picked up gets scheduled for Thursday and Friday. So I'm moving into this new house on Friday, but I can't actually move in until Friday night because I've got to do training all day. So isn't that just bloody lovely? Which means I'll then have to spend my whole weekend doing the actual moving, you know, the moving trucks stuff. Oh my God. This is one of those weeks where I don't have time to scratch myself. I do not. Anyway, you don't care. And fair enough. I barely care. I can feel how tedious the last minute was for you to listen to me just talk about all the monotonous stuff I've got to do this week. What was that noise? My phone keeps making this noise that goes... And I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. It's never made that noise before. And just in the last few days it started going... I don't know what it means. And no, there's no notification that goes along with it. It just goes... Anyway, uh, Prince Volkonsky continues to be arrogant and senile in this chapter, even saying that sweet Princess Maya will have to find a new place to live. How much longer do you think he will continue to torment his household before finally dying? How will Maya react to his death? In this chapter, we see the first rumblings of the return to war with France when the conversation turns to Napoleon's seizure of the lands of the Duke of Oldenburg. This violates the terms of the 1807 Tilsit Treaty. How long do you think it will be before the book turns back to the more war-focused chapters? Are you excited for those bits or dreading it? Several times in the chapter, the guests stop short of speaking critically of the Emperor, 
Do you think this fear of speaking freely about those in power is extended to the lowest echelons of Russian society at this time? And what does that say about such a society? Some deep questions. So yeah, it is important to note that in yesterday's chapter, in chapter 3, there were some talks that would hint at maybe France, who are currently uh, not the enemy, you know, they're at peace with France. They signed a treaty, the Tilsit Treaty, back in 1807, which was at the end of, you know, the last war bits that we saw. So they were at war with France, and then they weren't. And now France has uh, broken the treaty that they signed in some way. They seized some land from Duke, the Duke of Oldenburg. I don't even know what that really means. Like, I don't know where Oldenburg is. But um, it's that first inkling of, oh, hang on, are they an enemy of, of us again? Or are they just trying to see what they can get away with? What does this mean? Are we at war? Are we still allies? Are we friends? Are we not? Um, so that's interesting. Also interesting that these discussion prompts from last year, uh, last year user 7 of 9 has written and speculated, is Prince Bolkonsky near death? Um, and that's an interesting question to be asking. We know he's gone senile, but um, yeah, what what does that mean? Is he going to die soon? And what will that what will happen to the Bolkonskis in that case? Warren Kovafafi says, no doubt Maya will be saddened by her father's death, but this latest terror spree that he's been on with her makes me think that the main feeling she'll have is relief over his death. He really seems like he's holding a grudge against her of late, and I'm worried he's going to do something like give her all inheritance to Boreen out of spite. We're definitely coming again for the French and Russians. Sorry, war is definitely coming again. I'm interested to see what the reaction will be now that we will see France advance into Russia this time around. I think um, I don't think it's a spoiler to say that because, I mean, that's the, what War and Peace is about, you know? it's um, The historical setting is essentially the time that France invaded Russia. And, of course, we're not up to that bit in history yet. The whole, so far, has been uh, the kind of build-up to that happening. And is it a spoiler when it's a major part of the history of the world? Like... You know, it's not part of fiction. This is what really happened. So, um, I don't think it's a spoiler to say, you know, yeah. I mean, obviously, the French and the Russians are going to go to war again. If you didn't know that. I mean, I, I guess I probably didn't know that the first time I read War and Peace. But I don't think that's the point of the book, you know. I don't think it was written expecting you to not know that because think about the fact that this book was brought out about I don't know 30 or 40 years after France invaded Russia and it was brought out in Russia so there wouldn't be a single person in that original audience who Tolstoy would expect to not know that you know so he's not trying to keep that a surprise or a twist he wrote it thinking everyone would already understand the context of what's about to happen um, 
old man Bolkonski. Uh, I was thinking about recently how, like, when you die as an old person, when you grow old and die, it's really hard to remember an old person as anything other than, you know, the state that they were in in the few years preceding their death. You know what I mean? Like, I can I can remember my great-grandma pretty well. I knew her up until I was a teenager. But I can't... It's so hard for me to think of her as anything other than an old lady. You know? That's just what she will be in my head. If, if she became a ghost... Not that I believe in ghosts, but... If she became a ghost, she'd be an old lady ghost. You know, like that's what she is. But um, for the majority of her life, that's not what she was. From the ages of, you know, 14 to the age of probably like, you know, almost 70, she was probably quite youthful and sprightly and then sort of, you know, dignified and grown up and and then it's only after sort of 70 when they become elderly and they become that other thing and but then it's i don't know it's sad that that's how they're frozen in my memory try as i might to undo that because i know that that's not really who she was and the real sad thing is that people in those final years and this is not the case for my great grandma she was lovely all the time but people aren't always at their best in those last few years of their life. They do tend to become, you know, hostile, spiteful, bitter, angry, tormented, in pain. All these things. Not a nice state, not a pleasant state to be in and not a pleasant uh, memory to leave behind for other people. But old man Bolkonski not at his finest yet that's how we remember him as a bitter old you know shitty person um so i don't know i think about that sometimes i think i thought about that in this chapter because he is still so respected even though he's clearly not the thing that he was when he was younger when he garnered all that respect when he earned all that respect by now he's not that thing anymore but that's who he was when he was at his finest and for probably the majority of his life. Now all we get to see is this thing that's slowly, you know, it's slowly decomposing. <laughs> it's pretty morbid, but you know what I mean. Um, I'm um, waffling on tonight a little bit. I've only read one comment and I've waffled. But I feel quite free to do that because tonight's chapter is very short. Um, so I'll read one more comment and then I will uh, read the chapter. Twisted Every Way says, Hmm, I'm intrigued by Boris being at the dinner party, combined with Bolkonsky mentioning that he wished some fool would marry Maya. I hope Boris isn't angling anything that Bolkonsky will pick up regarding marrying for money. I agree that Maya will probably just be relieved when her father dies, but she won't be able to admit it to herself because of her devotion and religious 
leanings. Not at all looking forward to the war chapters. I wonder who we will follow there, since both Andre and Nicholas, presumably, are out of the army. Um, war chapters are coming. War chapters are funny. They can be, they can be difficult. You know, there's a lot of strategy, a lot of army movements here and there. But also, some of the finest moments in this novel are during the war chapters, and some of those are yet to come. So, rest assured, there is some great things coming. Um, now, uh, what was I saying? Oh yeah, well, Maya, you said um, she won't be able to admit to herself that she would be relieved when her father dies. I don't remember really like how this goes down or what happens. Um, but I do know that Maya is the kind of person that I feel like she would admit something like that to herself and then she would feel tremendous guilt, tremendous sort of religious guilt. I think that that's one of her defining characteristics is that she does feel sinful feelings and then she immediately feels religious guilt towards those things. Alright, um, she's acutely aware of that, is what I should say. <clears throat> Let's read chapter 4. Princess Mary, as she sat listening to the old men's talk and fault-finding, understood nothing of what she heard. She only wondered whether the guests had all observed her father's hostile attitude towards her. She did not even notice the special attentions and amiabilities shown her during dinner by Boris Hadrubitskoy, who was visiting them for the third time already. Princess Mary turned with absent-minded questioning look to Pierre, who, hat in hand and with a smile on his face, was the last of the guests to approach her after the old prince had gone out, and they were left alone in the drawing room. "'May I sit a little longer?' he said, letting his stout body sink into an armchair beside her. "'Oh, yes,' she answered. "'You noticed nothing?' her look asked." Pierre was in an agreeable after-dinner mood. He looked straight before him and smiled quietly. "'Have you known that young man long, Princess?' he asked. "'Who?' "'Drubetskoy.' "'No, not long. Do you like him?' "'Yes, he is an agreeable young man. Why do you ask me that?' said Princess Mary, still thinking of that morning's conversation with her father. Because I have noticed that when a young man comes on leave from Petersburg to Moscow, it is usually with the object of marrying an heiress. You have observed that, said Princess Mary. Yes, returned Pierre with a smile, and this young man now manages matters so that where there is a wealthy heiress, there he is too. I can read him like a book. At present he is hesitating whom to lay siege to, you... Or Mademoiselle Julie Karagina. He is very attentive to her. He visits them? Yes, very often. And do you know the new way of courting? said Pierre with an amused smile, evidently in that cheerful mood of good-humoured raillery for which he so often reproached himself in his diary. No, replied Princess Mary. To please Moscow girls nowadays one has to be melancholy. He is very melancholy with Mademoiselle Karagina, said Pierre. Really? asked Princess Mary, looking into Pierre's kindly face and still thinking of her own sorrow. It would be a relief, 
thought she, if I ventured to confide what I am feeling to someone, I should like to tell everything to Pierre. He is kind and generous. It would be a relief. He would give me advice. Would you marry him? Oh, my God, Count, there are moments when I would marry anybody, she cried suddenly to her own surprise and with tears in her voice. Oh, how bitter it is to love someone near to you and to feel that, she went on in a trembling voice, that you can do nothing for him but grieve him and to know that you cannot alter this. Then there is only one thing left, to go away, but where could I go? What's wrong? What's wrong? What is it, princess? But without finishing what she was saying, Princess Mary burst into tears. I don't know what is the matter with me today. Don't take any notice. Forget what I've said. Pierre's gaiety vanished completely. He anxiously questioned the princess, asked her to speak out fully and confide her grief to him, but she only repeated that she begged him to forget what she had said, that she did not remember what she had said, and that she had no trouble except the one of he, one he knew of that Prince André's marriage threatened to cause a rupture between father and son. "'Have you any news of the Rostovs?' she asked, to change the subject. "'I was told they are coming. I am also expecting André any day. I should like them to meet here.' "'And how does he now regard the matter?' asked Pierre, referring to the old prince. Princess Mary shook her head. "'What is to be done? In a few months the year will be up.' The thing is impossible. I only wish I could spare my brother the first moments. I wish they would come sooner. I hope to be friends with her. You have known them a long time, said Princess Mary. Tell me honestly the whole truth. What sort of girl is she? What do you think of her? The real truth, because you know André is risking so much doing this against his father's will that I should like to know. An undefined instinct told Pierre that these explanations and repeated requests to be told the whole truth expressed ill-will on the princess's part towards her future sister-in-law, and a wish that he should disapprove of André's choice, but in reply he said what he felt rather than what he thought. "'I don't know how to answer your question,' he said, blushing without knowing why. "'I really don't know what sort of girl she is. I can't analyse her at all. She's enchanting.' But what makes her so, I don't know. That is all one can say about her. Princess Mary sighed, and the expression on her face said, Yes, that's what I expected and feared. Is she clever? she asked. Pierre considered. I think not, he said. And yet, yes, she does not deign to be clever. No, she is simply enchanting, that's all. Princess Mary again shook her head, disapprovingly. Ah, I so long to like her. Tell her so if you see her before I do. Well, I hear they are expected very soon, said Pierre. Princess Mary told Pierre of her plan to become intimate with her future sister-in-law as soon as the Rostovs arrived, and to try to accustom the old prince to her. All right, that's that chap. There's that noise again. What's doodle -doo? <laughs> I don't know why my phone keeps going anyway that's that chapter for you thanks for listening and I will see you tomorrow bye